Hey, this is Vikram Panchal from the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm so thrilled you could be joining me today. So buckle up your seatbelt and get ready for some fresh, actionable content coming your way right now. Today we have another special guest joining us. His name is Daniel Hudgens and he's joining us all the way from the US. I think you're going to be really impressed with Daniel's story that he's going to share with us in a moment. Just a bit of a background to Daniel. As a young boy, Dan loved immersing himself in the imaginary world of Star Wars, comic books and action heroes. He could see there was a supernatural battle taking place between good and evil. He sensed there was more to life than the status quo, but he didn't know where to find the answers. Through much searching, Daniel found the answers not in a comic book, but surprisingly, in God's book, the Bible, which reveals the ultimate battle between good and evil, involving everyone living on this planet. Daniel has now dedicated his life to sharing this truth, which shows Jesus is the real Superman, and the Bible is the book that provides the answers to life's most difficult questions. Dan, welcome to our podcast on Lead Your Life. It's so awesome to have you here. Thank you, Vic. It's good to be here with you guys. I'm thrilled to be a part of the program, and I hope we have a great time together. And hello to all of you that are listening. Thanks, Dan. And uh, Dan, you're currently working as the Associate Director of the Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism in the United States. And that's pretty fascinating. We'll be coming back to that in a second, what your role involves and all that sort of stuff. But let's go back to the beginning where your story started. So you have a pretty interesting journey. You know, let's go there first. Tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, if your home was religious or not, any memories you have from your childhood. Yeah. So when I think back about growing up, I grew up in a very small town. Uh, it's a little population of about 11,000 people. It's kind of a country town. And uh, you go into the town, you know, and you can, the biggest thing you could probably see there is the Walmart store. So that's like a big, you know, grocery store with all kinds of other items in the store. And that's where if you want to see someone in town, you go to Walmart. So we could go to Walmart and there weren't that many exciting things to do in the town. But then as you go outside of town, there was uh, a development which affected my family dramatically. And that development was a man-made lake. So these uh, group of builders got together and they decided to build a, a man-made lake. In order to do that, my family owned a decent amount of property here in the area, out about eight miles outside of this small town. And we had to sell some of our land in order for the lake to be built. So we were on lakefront property. It wasn't the most beautiful lake you could ever see, but it was a good fishing lake. And a lot of fishermen would go out to the lake and they would fish and have a great time. And my mother being a very creative person and innovative person, she said, well, you know, I don't have a day job at the moment. My dad, he was working at a local chemical company and he was very busy with his day job. But my mom, she was raising me and wanted to do something, wanted to contribute. So what she did was she came up with the idea of building and owning and operating a seafood restaurant right by the lake so that when people were leaving the lake, they, if they were hungry, they could pull in and, and have some food and, and also fill up with gasoline and then head back home. So that's how it started. It started as a very small restaurant. But then it grew and they expanded, they added on to the building and it, it became a pretty successful restaurant here. So with that being said, uh, my parents were always very busy 
at the restaurant. My dad was still doing his day job. And then when he was done with his day job, he would come and work in the restaurant with my mom. And my mom was the mastermind behind the whole restaurant. She would do all the cooking, all the planning, all the all the ordering of the food and just everything. She It was like her thing. And so she was very gifted in that area, which means when she was heading that up, she was very busy. And my dad was busy because he was working his day job and helping at the restaurant. So that I was kind of caught in the middle of all that. And I had an older brother, but he was in and out. He was eight years older than me. So by the time uh, he got older, you know, he was he was long gone doing whatever he wanted to do. And that left me just kind of doing my own thing, floating around at our home or going up to the restaurant and getting all the food that I wanted. And then I would go back home and do what I wanted. And I was I was there at home with my babysitter, I like to call it, my babysitter. And uh, before I tell you about my babysitter, I'll just tell you some of the earliest memories that I have of religion or Christianity in any form of the sense is when I was a young boy up here at the restaurant, I had a conversation with my father in the behind the restaurant one evening. We were outside cleaning up some things behind the restaurant. And my father ended up telling me about the Battle of Armageddon. And I had never heard of the Battle of Armageddon before. And my father did the best that he could to explain it to me, telling me about a, uh, you know, an end time war that would take place one day. My father was a, a Baptist and he was a devout Baptist and a, a Christian, and uh, he would attend church regularly. But once we got the restaurant up and running and it was going at the rate that it was going, he pretty much stopped attending church. So, but he was a Baptist by profession. So he would tell me about the battle of Armageddon, or he would tell me about this thing that he called the, the rapture and things like that. So he, he there was a little bit of Christianity in our conversation, but that's about it. It wasn't, it was just kind of here and there. It wasn't the top, the topic of every conversation by any means. And then I do remember one time I was in my living room with my mother sitting in her lap. I was a very young i was at a very young age at this time sitting in my mother's lap and she had one of those really big family bibles and she had that family bible and was flipping through it and there was a full page four color painting or printing rather in this bible of jesus on the cross and i i remember one of my earliest memories actually was asking my mom hey you know, who is that guy? And I remember my mom telling me, well, that is Jesus and he's on the cross and he died for our sins. And that that was about it. So that was pretty much that conversation with my dad, with our Armageddon, and then my mom uh, with that family Bible. That was pretty much my religious upbringing. But I was really educated by my babysitter. So I'll tell you a little bit about my babysitter. My babysitter was uh, none other than the television. And that was <laughs> that was where I was introduced to to all sorts of worlds and all sorts of experiences and all sorts of places was was my experience with this babysitter. That's pretty amazing. So, you know, I was trying to figure out who this babysitter was. I was obviously imagining a human being, but when he said TV, I was like, well, that's probably the babysitter for most kids, right? So, yeah, you know, that's that's definitely very fascinating to hear a little bit about your family's background and the environment that you were growing up in. Now, by the way, out of curiosity, what was the name of this town? Are you still living there or have you moved since then? 
I have moved a few times, but I always find my way back. And so funny thing, actually, now the town is called Waldo. Now, in uh, in the U.S., we have a series of books. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of them before, but they're called Where's Waldo? To where there are these look and find books with this little guy wearing a, a striped shirt and blue jeans and a funny little hat. And, and he's in glasses and he's usually hiding on the page somewhere and you have to locate Waldo. So it's Where's Waldo? So I like to I like to joke with people and say I found Waldo. I live in Waldo, so it's Waldo, <laughs> Arkansas. That's amazing, and that probably also explains where your amazing accent comes from as well. It's pretty unique, you know. When we think about the United States and you know people coming from the United States, we have a mindset. Maybe it's more the Californian accent. I'm not sure, but uh, but definitely yours is different, but different yes. in a good way. And so, you know, you had an, you had a pretty interesting passion that a lot of boys can relate to. I talked about it right at the beginning. You know, what was it and what intrigued you about, you know, this passion that you developed through your babysitter, the TV? Yeah. So this babysitter, as you said there, the, the babysitter opened up my world. So I had a lot of time on my hands. And I, so I would sit at home with a full belly of that seafood from my seafood restaurant that my parents owned and operated. And I would just be in, engrossed into this world of TV. And one thing in particular that really caught my attention was this world of superheroes. And it's it's here that I learned about all these fictitious different environments and worlds such as Ghostbusters. And I loved Ghostbusters. I wanted to be a Ghostbuster. I had a proton pack and a trap. And my grandmother, she was she lived right down the road and she loved to sew. So she would sew these different costumes for me. So she made me one year, she made me a Ghostbusters outfit, put my name on the on the shoulder, I mean, on the, uh, yeah, on the shoulder above the pocket. And I looked official. I looked like a ghostbuster. So I would run <laughs> around trying to, trying to, you know, get these ghosts and capture ghosts. And then I would transition from being a ghostbuster to being He-Man and, you know, being, being a protector of the world, being He-Man with a sword. And, and then actually I would shift from being He-Man to, Crocodile Dundee. I loved Crocodile Dundee. Uh, funny enough, I loved him and I had to have a knife just like him and a vest and a hat and boots and the, you know, everything and the whole get up. And I would love to pretend like I was Crocodile Dundee and Superman. I love Superman. I would run down my hallway with my fist out, my arms outstretched, and I would yell, Superman! And I would think in my mind that I was Superman, you know? And my grandmother, she made me a Superman outfit. I looked just like Superman. And then I was Batman. I loved to be Batman in the dark night. I particularly loved Spider-Man, and I would have a Spider-Man outfit, you know? And I would run down the hallway thinking I was Spider-Man, jumping off of a skyscraper, and I would try to stick to the wall, and I really couldn't stick. I would just kind of slide down the wall, you know? But, but in my <laughs> mind, I was actually Spider-Man and I loved a couple of more. I'll tell you about, I loved Godzilla, uh, that big, big, uh, ferocious dinosaur, you know, that could bl uh, blow radioactive fire out of his mouth. You know, I loved Godzilla how big and powerful he was. And my grandmother, of course, helped me out with that and made me a Godzilla costume. And it looked awesome. I had the tail that would swing and the scales on the back. And I looked just like Godzilla and I would run around the yard and I would stomp the fire ants on the ground because they were very small. And it made me feel like I was really Godzilla stomp stomping on the ant mounds and such as that, you know, and I would try to wear that thing to the grocery store. My dad would look at me and 
say, no, you're crazy. You can't wear that to the grocery store. But he didn't understand that in my mind, I was not a little boy. I was Godzilla. <laughs> and then another one was Karate Kid. Now, I loved Karate Kid because as I was growing up, you can imagine with, with this vivid imagination, I would carry that with me wherever I went and I would carry it with me to school. And so sometimes I was picked on when I was little and I kind of related to this kid in Karate Kid where he was picked on and then he had to learn martial arts and he had his epic mentor, Mr. Miyagi. And so I could really relate to that because his name, Karate Kid, for those of you that have seen it or familiar with the content that I'm talking about, his name was Daniel and my name is Daniel. So I could really relate to him. I didn't have to pretend very much at all because I was Daniel and he was called Daniel son in the, in the movie. So I considered myself to be Daniel's son and I would watch Karate Kid and then Ninja Turtles and you name it. I was watching all these different things, Rambo and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone, all their movies, Jean-Claude Van Damme and all of his action movies and things. So I was busy memorizing all these action moves. And so I was naturally very gifted with martial arts. So when my parents enrolled me in martial arts, I was very, I was just a natural at it. I could do the kicks. I could do the spin kicks, the jump kicks. And so I got into martial arts and, and loved it. And, and so if I could just put an end cap on all this and summarize it. Well, one more, let me tell you about one more. When I was in the restaurant one day, actually one evening, there was a family, they were eating their meal and there was a little boy who went to our, our candy rack. You know, our restaurant had a candy rack where after everyone ate their food, we knew that we could make a little extra money by having a candy rack for all the children when they go past the cash register. Oh, there's some chocolate or oh, there's some sweets or there's some sour candy or whatever their pick was. You know, they would grab it and say, oh, mommy, mommy, can we have this? And of course, they would they would buy it for them. And there was a little boy and he had zeroed in on the candy stash and so he was looking at all the candy but he had something under his arm that caught my attention the candy caught his attention but what he had under his arm caught my attention so i walked over to him and he had this thing called a comic book and i had never seen a comic book before but i had seen all these superheroes on the television i didn't know that they had another outlet where you could learn about them not only on the tv but you could learn about them through their books these comic books and so he showed me the comic book and let me look at it while he was trying to pick out what candy that he wanted so i'm looking through the comic and the first comic was actually a comic dealing with X-Men. So I loved X-Men and I wanted to be Wolverine. And, and uh, I just loved the, the, this concept with all of these programs, with all these movies. And now as I'm getting into the world of comic books, what, what, what my mind was beginning to see in all these things, and I believe that God was speaking to me in a sense uh, as he does all of us through just our lives. And uh, because he's a God of love and, and he's wanting to touch all of our hearts and open up our eyes to the possibility of his reality, his existence and his saving power. I didn't know that at the time, but what I was captivated by was this concept of the battle between good and evil. So that kind of developed my passion with wanting to do the best that I could with whatever I did. I wanted to save the world. I wanted to save the girl. So I had girls on my radar at an early age. And I just, I just had this sense that I knew I didn't have any powers, but I wanted to be a superhero and I wanted to save the world from evil. And I could sense that there, there's this epic battle between good and evil. And that's what I think drew me 
to these comics and to these movies and to these plot lines and things of that nature. Yeah, definitely. You know, like I'm just hearing your story here and I feel I can totally relate. Like every single superhero you talked about, every single action figure is just like a really in my own mind, you know, growing up and watching all these comics and, you know, watching all these different movies. I feel like even though we were growing up in very different countries, culturally, background, everything, but there's so many similarities. So I, I definitely hear you and I definitely can feel I can, you know, put myself in your shoes. So it's pretty amazing. And so, like I said, you know, a lot of boys can relate to this right uh, growing up in a world of superheroes you're constantly wanting to be the good guy fighting the bad guys and it definitely puts within you a concept of the battle that's raging between good and evil and we know that christianity especially the bible is really a book about good and evil so you know how did you first come in, into contact with christianity you mentioned something about your dad before you know what what impression did it leave on you beyond that yeah, so you know, when I think about that and and when I think about I guess one one epic tagline or one one key thought that I had with with the superheroes and then and then with my first encounter with Christianity, uh one thing with the superheroes is that there was one tagline or or one thought rather that was in uh Spider-Man. And that thought was with great power comes great responsibility. So I that I was always fascinated by that tagline and and I think it's a very good tagline and I think it's very true and very relevant and uh so when I think about that you know that just has always stuck with me with great power comes great responsibility. So let me fast forward just a little bit I'll tell you about when I was in the 5th grade I rode the well I rode the school bus ever since kindergarten I would ride the school bus and I, because of the location of my home we lived out in the country as I said by the lake I was the first one on the school bus and I was the last one off. And when I was in the fifth grade, there was a pretty girl on the school bus. Well, there were, there were probably more than one pretty girls, uh, pretty girls on the school bus, but there was one pretty girl that caught my attention. There was just something different about her. And as I said, I had girls on the radar at a very young age. And so in the fifth grade, obviously it's too young to be in a serious relationship or anything like that. But I asked this pretty girl on the fifth grade, she just lived right up the road from me. Uh, I asked her if she would be my girlfriend. And she said, no, she was very smart. <laughs> and she said, no, but I didn't give up as I, as I recall all my heroes and things, they never gave up. And when they were knocked down, they would get back up, you know, to fight the bad guys. So I was not going to give up. So I always kept my eye on her. And then the lucky day came. I say the lucky day. I don't know if you want to call it luck or not. But in the ninth grade, I asked her again. And this time she said, yes, she said, yes. And we continued to ride the school bus together for a, a small amount of time before we both started driving. And it was uh, on the school bus that she gave me a book. And the book was called The Richest Caveman. And a, a little about me at this time was I wasn't much of a reader. Like I would flip through the pictures of the comic books to kind of get the idea of what was going on. I was more interested in the pictures and the artwork and the battle scenes and seeing who was standing on the last few pages. So I didn't necessarily have to read it to know what was going on. And then I would watch the cartoons and the movies and things of that nature. But I was open-minded. And I think looking at all the comics and all the movies, it put me in a mindset to be open-minded, to, to be able to just just have a, an openness about things. And, and, and I was naturally, I guess you would say, 
a, a seeker. You know, I was open to to new things. And so when she gave me this book, it something about it, I don't know exactly what it was at the time, but I opened it up and I I started reading it. And I didn't have a problem reading it, being not being a, a big reader, but I started reading it. And it was at this time reading this book called The Richest Caveman. It was uh, written by a man by the name of Doug Batchelor. And I won't spoil the story for people that might want to read it. And by the way, I would recommend you guys getting on Google and looking for The Richest Caveman book and order one, whether it's on Amazon or wherever, order the book and read it for yourself. And uh, I won't spoil it, but what I will tell you is that as I was reading his story, it's the it's it's his story, it's his personal journey, is what this book is about. And I, as as I was reading his story and how he was in a very unique way introduced to the Bible, uh, I was being introduced to these things too. And as he was being introduced to Jesus and Jesus's story and the teachings of Jesus and the battle between good and evil and the distortions of the enemy and and all these things. This was just captivating my mind, and I saw for the first time ever that maybe those things, maybe those themes in those comic books and in those movies, this this theme that would always pop into the forefront of my mind, the theme of the battle between good and evil, maybe there was something really to this, and this was more than a comic, but this was actually a true story. So my mind was open now to all these things being a reality, like there really is a, a villain and there really is a hero. And so I was open to that in a new and fresh way. And, and to put it short, I would say I was hungry for more when I was reading this book and I finished the book, I was hungry for more. What's next? That's amazing. So, you know, obviously your girlfriend, and by the way, I wanted to ask you, you know what, you know, initially you got that rejection when you were a bit younger. What made your girlfriend suddenly change her mind a few years later? Well, I think it was just more of our age and we had grown. And at the time in the fifth grade, which we were too young then, but in the fifth grade, I think it probably had a little bit to do with how I dressed and how I looked. I wore very thick glasses at the time that covered half of my face and they shrunk down my eyes till they looked like little peas. And my grandmother would make a lot of my clothes. And at this time in the fifth grade, I had this, this cowboy persona. So I wanted to be like a cowboy. And so my grandmother would make me my custom shirts with custom buttons and I would wear big buckles and, and cowboy boots. Nothing against that if any of you guys that are listening dress that way. But at that particular age, it wasn't the coolest way to dress at my school. And so I don't think that I was very up there on the, the fashion level or on the, the level of attraction. So she probably just kind of brushed me off. So as I continued to get older, I started, you know, obviously I wanted to be a hero. So, and I, I was, I was, uh, captivated by Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Wolverine and Jean-Claude Van Damme. So I started to work out. So I, I, I was looking the part a little bit better, you could say. So I think that might have had something to do with it as well. <laughs> All right. So you basically went from a transformation from Clark Kent to Superman, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> All right. So now, now you actually ended up because of this book you got called "The World's Richest Caveman" by Doug Batchelor. 
you ended up going to a Bible seminar in your hometown. Now, what was that seminar about and how did that help you give your life to Christ? So the way that worked out was after I read the book, as I said, I was I was hungry for more. And this girl gave me another book and I read it really quickly as well. And and then she gave me a flyer to what was called a Revelation Seminar. It was all supposed to be on the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation that deals with the great epic battle between good and evil and how things are going to wrap up on this planet. And it actually contained information about what my father had told me about when I was a young boy concerning the battle of Armageddon. And, and it had the, 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 flyer was very interesting it looked sort of like a comic book cover itself you know with these these epic beasts and bizarre creatures coming out of the bible with lightning and and all this and so i was captivated by the artwork and by what this seminar was going to be about and uh, also it was a plus that this girl, this pretty girl who was now my girlfriend, was going to go with me every night. So it was a win-win, you know. So, but I, uh, all jokes aside, I was very interested, and I went to the series not for her, uh, but I did go because I was very interested and open, and I was hungry for more. I was a seeker who had a lot of questions. You know, I had big questions like, where did I come from? And at this time, too, I should mention that from the fifth grade and on, my mother was struggling with cancer. She had uh, she had breast cancer. And so I had these questions, you know, like, where did I come from? Why am I here? What's the future hold for me? Uh, why is there evil? Why do people get diseases like cancer? Why does my mom have cancer? And then what's going to happen when my mom dies? What's going to happen when I die? What's What's next after death? Is there heaven? Is there hell? You know, what's going to what's going to take place? Or I didn't have any uh, solid answers for these things. Last day events, you know, how's everything going to wrap up with this world? These were these were the questions that I had. And so when I attended this seminar, I have to tell you that basically what it did is it flipped my world completely upside down, but in the right way. I realized that I had a perception. I had a perception of good and evil. I had a perception of what life was all about. I had a perception of, of heaven and hell, you know, things that people had told me in the past and things that I had seen in the movies and things. I had baggage, you might say. I had all this baggage for these religious terms, but I didn't have any solid, concrete, foundational answers or sources where I could go to to give you the clear-cut authority on the topic, but I had all this baggage and all this preconceived, all these preconceived ideas in my mind. And what I was discovering systematically through this seminar was that my answers were coming, or that answers were coming. So what I what I discovered in this seminar was systematically there were accurate, well thought out answers that were coming. In the Bible, they were actually coming from the Bible and they were answering all these questions that I had. And I discovered that there are several things that I thought I knew, but that I was actually following what the villain was promoting and what the ultimate villain was showing to be true. And I was understanding for the first time in my life that there are a lot of things that we take for granted in life that we think are true. And then we think that's how it really is. But then you could say that the veil was being pulled back, the supernatural to, to the supernatural. 
And I was seeing that the villain has come in on this planet and that he has distorted a lot of the things that we take for granted and think that are true. They're actually distortions from the enemy or distortions of the enemy, and they're distorting the real truth as it is in this epic story that's found in the Bible. So my whole worldview changed going to this seminar, and it was here that I saw who the identity was of the true Superman. I met the true Superman, the real Superman in this seminar, and that was, and through the reading of the book, The Richest Caveman, that was Jesus Christ. I saw that Jesus Christ was a real historical figure, that there were many foundational predictive prophecies about him, his life, where he would be born, where he would, how he would die, when he would die, that he would raise from the dead, and when his ministry would start, uh, how it would happen, all these crazy things. It was phenomenal. I even saw that there was, there was actually a prophecy in the calendar in which that God had organized for his children in the Bible. They had a, a, a their, their very calendar was a prophecy in and of itself. And it was just mind blowing. And the prophecy was pointing to Jesus himself. So as all this evidence was piling up in predictive prophecy, the battle of good and evil, uh, it just blew my mind. And I gave my heart to Jesus. And at the end of that seminar, I made the decision to get baptized. And for those of you that aren't sure what baptism is, it's it's basically a ceremony where you are demonstrating publicly that you want to give your life to God and for his cause and for his mission, and that you symbolically going in the water, you're dying to who you used to be, and you're coming up out of this watery grave and as a new person with a new identity and a new purpose and a new mission. And uh, that's that's what I did, and my life has never been the same ever since then. You know, that's such an amazing story you've just shared there. And you're right. You know, once you start to understand the Bible, it's like a puzzle that kind of unlocks and you start to see this amazing battle taking place, a true battle between good and evil. You know, so the Bible really has a way of captivating your attention. A lot of it is obviously in story form. It's not just dry instruction, dry theology, uh, or di dry doctrines. It's actually based all in story form to tell you this battle that's been raging since the beginning of time between good and evil. And you discovered this, this battle that was better than any comic book you've ever read before, any TV program you watched in the past. And I totally relate with you. I understand where you're coming from. It is similar to my experience as well. You know, but now looking back, you've been a Christian now, you've given your life to Christ for a number of years. What are some key things you've learned since becoming a Christian that you tell the younger version of yourself? Well, one thing that I would start off and say, and one thing about me that I would want to make sure that anyone who was like me or the younger version of myself, one thing I'm very thankful for is that I did have good mentors. And so I would tell anyone who is getting into Christianity or, or start wanting to learn more about Christianity and the teachings of Jesus is to find a good mentor because they've been around the block a few times. They've skint their knees. They've had some run-ins with the enemy and, and they know how things work and they know what works sometimes and what doesn't work. And they can help you. They can help save you from some of the experiences that they had. And one thing that I'm so thankful for with my mentors is right after this seminar, I knew that I wanted to do what did. Oh, and one thing I'll mention about this seminar, I forgot to mention, is that this seminar was being put on by the very ministry 
that the guy in the book that I read, The Richest Caveman, he was the president of this very ministry. So there was a connection there. And that ministry is was called, and still to this day, is called Amazing Facts. So I was just blown away by that connection. And I thought to myself, you know, I want to do what what that guy does. I want to share with people the the amazing truths or the amazing facts of this story of the true hero and the prophecies in the Bible that show that the Bible is the the most epic story that you can ever read and that it's reliable. And I want to do that. I want to bring peace and purpose and identity and excitement to other people by sharing this story with them in the same capacity that these guys are doing, whether it's through writing a book or, or sharing it publicly. That's what I put in my mind. And my mentors saw that about me and they put me to work. They got me involved in the work of Christ. And, and that was very special. That really helped me. And then if I could tell, so, so in review there, I would tell people a younger version of myself and young Christians, I would say, get a, get a good mentor, get a good mentor. And then the, the other thing that I've had to learn the hard way is I think this is a very important point is oftentimes when we get involved in organized religion or we get involved in church, we start looking at the people and we look to the people for examples and we look to the people for guidance, like even mentors. But we need to realize with mentors and with the other people in our environment, in this worship environment of church, is we need to understand that the the word church comes from a Greek word that is the word ecclesia. And that word, interestingly enough, is not a building. It's not, it's not communicating a building or defining a building. The word ecclesia means a people, a people called out, not a building. So oftentimes we'll focus on, on the building, we'll focus on on all these different capacities of the church. But what we need to understand is the church is filled with people and people are on the journey just like you are and people will let you down. People will hurt your feelings. People will lie to you. People will will do just terrible things. They'll treat you just in a very poor manner. And, and it makes me think a lot of what uh, Gandhi once said. Gandhi said, I like your Christ but I do not like your Christians. He said, your Christians are so unlike your Christ. So I like to, I would like to have known that much earlier when I first joined the Christian movement, being a Christian, that there's a difference in Christians and Christ. So we look to Christ. We don't look to other Christians because Christians will let you down. Christians can be hypocrites. Christians can be very unlike Christ. But if you keep looking at Christ and keep looking to Christ, then you'll be much more encouraged and you'll never be let down. So that was very important that I thought I would share with, with a younger version of myself. And then uh, it makes me think, too, of another quote by a guy by the name of Brennan Manning. And he says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips. They walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And that really resonated with me. And it still does to this day. And I still think it's very true. So if we could just 
understand and know that the church is full of people and people have problems, but Jesus is the solution. I'll share with you just a couple of more things that I would tell a younger version of myself is, is to be encouraged to know that the Christian experience is not, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And uh, it reminds me of a proverb in, in the book of Proverbs that tells us that a just man may fall seven times, but he rises up again. But the wicked, they fall into mischief. So that, that reminds me that there may be times where I'm looking to Jesus, but I might fall. And I just need to know that it's okay to fall as long as you get back up. So I would want to remind people, you know, you might fall. It's a journey. It's an experience. Don't be discouraged. Get back up. Keep looking to Jesus and don't be discouraged and lose hope. You might often have to bow down and go back and weep at the feet of Jesus because we make mistakes and we're not perfect. So I think that's, that is just very important and very crucial for people to understand as they're starting their Christian experience. Yeah, thanks, Dan. That's such uh, good sage advice, you know, for all of us. I was listening to you as well. I thought, yeah, there's a lot I could relate to that as well. And, you know, the way I've come to see church is more of a hospital, isn't it? You know, there's a lot of people who are wounded, hurt, bleeding, and they're walking into church. They're finding out about Christ, much like you did and I did. But they're also on a journey, you know, just because you become a Christian doesn't mean you're instantly perfect. Uh, we all have a growth experience to go through, and each person is at a very, very different stage. And so, like you said, the best thing to do is not look at other people, look to Christ, because people let us down, even though there's some amazing people in the church. You know, no one is perfect. We're all on a journey. Only Christ is perfect. So, you know, you touch on a really, really good point there. You know, but one of the things I wanted to ask you was, you know, currently one one of your roles with Amazing Facts, the very same ministry that helps spark your interest in Christianity, one of the things is that you're actually an excellent graphic designer, you know, and a lot of the artwork that's designed by Amazing Facts now is, is a lot of it is done by you, you know, so did your interest in comic books and the artwork there inspire you to start creating designs of your own? I mean, was there a connection there? Yes, most certainly. You know, at a, at a young age, I actually wanted to be a comic book artist. I wanted to do movie posters or comic book covers or even, you know, the whole comic book. I wanted to create my own characters and do all these different things. And I did. I made up my own characters and gave them their own origin story and gave them their own powers. And my grandmother, who was not only a talented seamstress, she was also a decent painter. So she was always painting at her home when she wasn't sewing and cooking and taking care of my grandfather. So I would get a blank canvas. She would give me a blank canvas and I would paint as well and sketch and draw and do things like that. So it was just a natural transition for me as I was in high school. I was approached by my art teacher and she asked me if I'd ever considered a career in art. And I hadn't at the time. I was more thinking of like physical therapy or doing, being a physical therapist or something like that because I loved to exercise and things like that. But I never considered a career in art. And so I got the, uh, the application. She, get, she helped me get an application together and put in the, the uh, entry for being considered for an art scholarship at the local college in our town. There's a, there's a college here, a public university. And I put in my best of my artwork that I had created in the 11th grade and 12th grade in, in high school. And I received a scholarship. And so that opened up the world to me 
to computer art and working in Photoshop and Adobe Illustrator and digital painting and and compositing, you know, creating a, a scene from like 10 different photographs and merging them together and creating your own scene. And and I just fell in love with it and really liked it. And it was more it was more like I was playing on the computer and having fun than doing any kind of work or doing any kind of assignment. So much like kind of like the martial arts came natural to me. I guess you could say creating visual pieces. It just kind of came natural to me as well. And uh, it's funny because I wanted to do comic book work and I wanted to do movie posters. And I kind of do that now with amazing facts through prophecy work, doing doing environments and creating imagery, dealing with prophecy, which is the ultimate comic book, if you will. And And then also doing the posters and DVD covers for the, the programs that we put together at Amazing Facts. So it's funny how God kind of has a sense of humor and he ended up letting me getting to do what I really wanted to do. That's pretty amazing. You know, I just look at your childhood and see your interest in comic books and are you using that same passion, you know, to start using your talents for God's work. That's That's amazing through graphic design. But that's just one of the hats that you wear at Amazing Facts right now. You know, you're also the Amazing Facts Center for Evangelism Associate Director. So, you know, t tell us a little bit more about the ministry of Amazing Facts and the influence that it's had around the world and the kind of role you're having there right now. When I, when I think back of how I was initially introduced to Amazing Facts, it was through this Revelation seminar. And one of my other favorite heroes that I didn't mention earlier that I think I could mention at this time was Luke Skywalker. And I loved the story of Star Wars, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to the story of Star Wars and, you know, the 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 good guys against the the bad guys and the, I guess you'd say the force against the dark side. You know, I love this idea and how they would fight with lightsabers. Uh, and so what I what I what I think about there is when I when I was introduced to the book of Revelation in this Revelation seminar, it was brought out that in Revelation chapter 12, that that this symbology, the way that Revelation is written is in signs and symbols. And there is this epic battle in Revelation between the stars, you might say. And stars are symbols for angels, or they can be in the book of Revelation. So you have the ultimate Star Wars, the real Star Wars actually taking place in the book of Revelation. And it's right there in the book of Revelation that you find the mission of Amazing Facts. And the mission of Amazing Facts is centered on Revelation chapter 14, which is dealing with, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I'm not going to read it for the, for the viewers, but what I'll, I'll put it in language that maybe we all could relate to and understand. And, and that is when you look at the way that the book of Revelation is organized, Revelation in, in chapter 14, there is three cat three sections of chapter 14 where you have you have this experience of you might want to say God's last day warriors, the, the experience of God's last day warriors. And then you have a special message that is given by God's last day warriors. And then you have the the end of it all, and it it uses the term harvest. So you have basically the end of the world in in what's called the harvest, the last harvest that takes place. So you have the experience, you have the message, and then you have the harvest. And we we focus on 
the the message that is given, the last day message that is given to the world before the end of the world, before the harvest takes place. And that's found in Revelation 14, verses 6 through 12, if you guys wanted to look it up and read that message. But we call them, and, and Bible scholars and, and Bible communicators will often call this the three angels' messages. And, and the way that we communicate the three angels' messages is we do that through television, and we're on several different TV programs and uh, TV networks all around the world. We do that through radio. We do it through a Bible school, and then we do it through internet ministry. And then we have speakers that travel, like the gentleman that I was introduced to Amazing Facts through years ago, uh, traveling the world, doing public meetings where they're sharing these truths, sharing God's love, sharing his story with other people who want to come and hear, and their lives are changed just like mine. And then we also do this through the Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism. And we also do it through publishing. We do several different magazines and booklets and books every year. And we also have a plethora of websites. And I'll just name a few for the guys and people that are listening. Any of you that are listening, you could check out, for example, BibleUniverse.com. That one would be really interesting to check out. There's also another one called RaptureTruth.com. And then there is another one called Bible history.com. So you guys could check those out just to kind of get a feel for a little bit of what we do uh, on, on the web end of things. And when it comes to the Amazing Facts Center of uh, Evangelism, uh, I, I get to help teach. I get to help equip people and understand who they are. And I'll, I'll tell you more about that as we go. But, but, but that's what we do at Amazing Facts. We, we focus on helping people basically to see, I guess you could put it this way. We say that God's message is our mission. We want people to see that we're all about sharing the truths that are found in the Bible and exposing the deceptions and distortions of the villain so that we can introduce people to the true superhero. That's awesome. Thanks for explaining that. And yeah, Amazing Facts has had an amazing influence and impact all around the world. And it's exciting that you're actually part of this ministry now and making a dramatic impact there. But, you know, I wanted to ask you another question. Now, you've got a family and you ended up marrying, obviously, the, the girlfriend that you had when you were younger. She's now your wife. And uh, together you have four little ones. You know, so you've got a pretty busy day job. You've got a family, a pretty large family to look after as well. And each child has its own needs. So, you know, for those who are listening today, how do you actually keep your faith and love for God strong? with the challenges that every parent faces of day-to-day -day life. I mean, I'm, I'm in the thick of it as well. I've got two small ones. So I can understand, you know, I relate to this. So I wanted to ask your opinion. How do you get through this, Dan? Yeah, so the first step for me is to realize that not every day is going to be a bed of roses because we are in a battle. There's going to be bad days. Some days the children don't want to cooperate and it can put my wife and I both in, in not the best mood. And, and so there's definitely opportunities where we get to practice patience and compassion and forgiveness and things like that. So we, we try to be realistic with that. And then a big thing that we try to do, and we're still learning, I'll go ahead and tell you that, that's is understanding that we don't have it all figured out, but that we're constantly willing to learn. And that's a big thing is just being a learner, learn from our mistakes, learn from our successes and to try to do better. So that's one thing that we do. 
Uh, and, and I try my best not to compartmentalize my Christianity. And I try to involve my children in any kind of ministry outreach that I'm a part of. Anytime I travel, I try to include them in the travel. Some places they don't go with me, but a lot of places they do go with me. And I try to involve them in the young age that they are so that they can see that this isn't just something that we do once a week when we go to church or twice a week when we go to church, but this is, this is why we live. This is why we're here to, to live for Christ. And, so we try not to compartmentalize it. We try to include Jesus in everything that we do. And we try our best to make our faith attractive. And I'd have to say, you know, with our children that my wife, she is a huge, if, you know, if I was typing this out, I would type out huge in all caps. She is a huge part of my ministry because she supports what I do in all aspects of my ministry. And basically, we just want our children to know that our faith is real and we want them more importantly to see our faith through our actions and the way that we treat them and not the way that we treat other people. We don't want them to see a disconnect between, oh, this is how daddy acts when he's preaching, or this is how daddy acts when he's at church, but he acts this way at home. No, we, we want them to know that our first church is the home and that our first ministry, that daddy's first ministry is the home, the home life, the way that I treat my children, the way that I raise them, the way that I discipline them, the way that I deal with my wife, the way that I speak to my wife, the way that I interact with my wife. I want them to see the love that I have for God to be shown practically through the way that I deal with them as well as the way that I deal with people so that if I were to die and my funeral comes, there wouldn't be two stories. They wouldn't hear a story of how Pastor Daniel was, and then here they have a different mindset of how Daddy Daniel was. It'd be the same guy that they would see and hear from. That's that's my biggest thing is not disconnecting it and making sure that the children see Jesus through the way that that I treat them and the way that I treat my wife. Hey, that's amazing, Dan, and thanks so much for sharing that with us. And I think it's definitely a lot of food for thought for everyone. You know, whether they're sort of like in your line of work, you know, working in full time ministry for God. Um, active in service, or whether they are just curious about Christianity and they're also trying to figure out, you know, how do you stop the disconnect between our professional life and our personal life, right? That can be a huge disconnect sometimes. And merging the two, becoming one person can actually be very, very healing. Well, Dan, I really wanted to say thank you for the time you spent with us here on Lead Your Life and the purpose for this ministry and the purpose for this podcast is that we want to help people live their life to the full potential that God has designed them for. And you are definitely a great example of that. You know, from your past childhood experiences to what you're doing right now, it's transformational. It's really inspiring. It's very, very encouraging. And I know that each one of our listeners has been tremendously blessed. And I just want to encourage you to keep doing the work you're doing. And if you're curious to know more about Dan and his work, you can just Google search him on amazingfacts.org and find out a lot more about the entire ministry and the global impact that they're having right now. But Daniel, thank you once again for joining us, and I look forward to touching base with you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, and I hope it was a blessing to everyone. God bless you all. Mm -hmm.